John 5, starting in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You and I have an appointment with destiny. All of mankind and all of creation are together moving inexorably towards a future which is entirely outside of our control. Some would say, maybe the secular doomsday prophets would say that our future is going to end in climate catastrophe, population collapse, nuclear annihilation, or any number of other nightmares. But there's a force at work that is far more powerful than any of those things. And whereas some may believe we can take drastic action to turn things around, turn back climate change and bring about world peace or otherwise secure our collective future, the actual course of events which lies before us is entirely out of our control. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as, a labor, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So whether acknowledged by men or not, all of civilization is awaiting a common fate. The Lord has reserved a day of his own choosing when he will bring an end to this sin-cursed world and inaugurate a new day, a new day in which righteousness reigns. And as we learned in our, or as we will learn in our passage this morning, God the Father has, a point, has appointed his Son, Jesus Christ, as the sole authority to execute events on that day. As we learned last week, Jesus is who? Jesus is God the Son, who has come as the Son of God, and he sits upon David's throne, which means he rules over a universal kingdom uh, and an everlasting kingdom. And whereas he sees fit right now to allow for competing authority figures in the present day over the affairs of men, there's coming a day when he's going to put down all rule and authority. He's going to put down all rule and authority. A day when all men must stand before Jesus and answer to him and his authority. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
so that each one may receive what is due, uh, his due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. That's an appointment that we all must keep. There is a summons to appear, and there will be no failure to appear. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. As you can tell from those two passages, that day will not only see Jesus honored uh, for who he is as Lord over men, but that day is going to see a division or a judgment made among men. All appear before the judgment seat of Jesus. He's going to separate some for eternal life, and he's going to separate others for judgment. Now look in verse 27 of our passage this morning in John 5. Start in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not, mar- do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the destiny to which all men and all women are headed, including all of us here this morning. This is an appointment which all of creation must keep. All things are moving steadily and unalterably toward the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When the kingdom is finally consummated, a reckoning will take place, which will determine who enters in and who is cast out. And Jesus is the one commissioned by the Father to make that judgment. And so this morning in John 5, we just simply want to consider the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. We're going to look at the source of Jesus' authority. We're going to look at the scope of Jesus' authority. We're going to look at the effect of Jesus' authority. And we're going to look at the exercise of Jesus' authority in chapter 5. And so first, we want to consider the source of Jesus' authority. From whence does he attain the authority to make the judgment over all of mankind, separating some to life and some to judgment? The Bible is very clear that God is the source of life. Genesis chapter 2, he forms man from the dust of the ground, and he breathes life into his nostrils so that man becomes a living creature. Job confesses in Job 12.10, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God is the life giver. He alone has the power to give life. He's the fount of life. God is not dependent upon any for life outside of himself. Uh, He is the self-existent, and he is the self-sufficient life giver. If you're theologically minded, that's called the aseity of God. Naturally, then, the sole ability to give life comes, with that sole ability to give life, comes the sole discretion uh, to give life to whomever one chooses. God gives and God takes away. He gives life to whom he will. In other words, God is the authority. He's the authority over life. I think we instinctually understand this and accept this, that God is the life giver. But I want you to see something amazing in our text. Look in verse 21 of John 5. Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. In this incredible statement, Jesus is claiming that he possesses the same life-giving power that exists in the Father. The same life-giving power and authority that exists in the Father. 
How is it that Jesus could have the same life-giving authority uh, which belongs to God and God alone? Look in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So God, the self-sufficient, self-existent fount of life, who has the power and authority to give life and to take life, has granted the exact same power to the Son. That's why John could say, back in John chapter 1, in verse 4, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Make no mistake, the ability to give life or not give life is a matter of authority. Look in verse 26 and 7 again. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And so the judgment or the authority which Christ has, flows out of the fact that the Father has granted him to have life in himself. We'll explore that connection a little bit later. But for now, simply consider that we must all one day stand before Jesus as the authoritative Son of God who has the power to give eternal life because God the Father has granted this to him. Look at our text. Look in verse 22, and look in verse 26, and look in verse 27. I want you to notice a pattern. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The authority of Jesus lies in the fact that he has been given life in himself from God, the life giver so that Jesus can give eternal life to whomever he will, just as God gives life to whomever he wills. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So listen, as far as our souls are concerned, and our eternal destiny is concerned, they are in the hands of God who has delegated all power and all authority to the Son, Our eternity is now determined by how we respond to Jesus. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so the source of Jesus' authority, granted, given, delegated, commissioned by God to have the very same divine authority to give life and to judge. Next, look at the scope of this authority in verse 22 and 23 and 28. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So God the Father has delegated all authority over all men to Jesus. And with that authority comes the ability to give eternal life to whomever the Son chooses. We'll explain the whomever a little bit later. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a universal authority, a universal scope. 600 years earlier, the prophet Daniel looked forward to the day when this authority would be given from the Father to the Son. And so in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, 
Daniel saw what appeared to be a man coming into the presence of God, standing before him to receive power and dominion. And it says this in Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man is Jesus. He is the Son of Man who has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all might serve him. Look again at our text in verse 26 of John 5. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He's the one from Daniel 7 who has received the dominion, the everlasting dominion, and the kingdom so that all might serve him. So the source of Jesus' authority over mankind is rooted in the fact that God has granted him to have life in himself so that he shares the divine prerogative to give eternal life to whomever he wills. The scope of his authority, well, it extends over all of mankind, ultimately over all of creation. In Acts chapter 17, we find the Apostle Paul coming to Athens. And Athens was a city that was wholly given over to idolatry. They had altars for all sorts of gods. And and Paul walks through and he sees all these altars to the so-called gods. And he shares with the men of Athens the divine source and the universal scope of Jesus' authority. And compels them to respond to that authority. Acts 17 verse 24. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And there you see the aseity of God, and you see God is the life giver. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? What's the change of events? Why now does he uh, refuse now to overlook that former ignorance? Why does he demand repentance now? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ is the authoritative Son of God who has been granted a delegated authority from the Father to have power and authority over life so that all must respond to Jesus. And he's appointed a day when all must stand before him, and you can be assured. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. So God has fixed a day when all men must stand before Jesus, whom he has appointed as the authority over all of mankind. We must all stand before Christ, because as far as our salvation is concerned, Jesus is the source of eternal life. When Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, he said, Father... The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so we've seen the divine source of Jesus' authority. We've seen the universal scope of Jesus' authority. And now, just consider the practical effect of this. You can say, so what then, as far as we are concerned? This is not just a theology lesson. How then should we respond, or how does this affect us? So the effect of Jesus' authority. We've already seen in Daniel 7 that because Jesus, the Son of Man, has been granted dominion and authority, what? It said in verse 14 of Daniel 7, to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. That's the consequence of Jesus' authority, the effect. But now look in our text in verse 22 and 23 again in John 5. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The effect of the Father's delegation of power and authority over eternal life to Jesus is that now all men must honor the Son just as they would honor the Father. A concept of relationship with God or salvation which does not include honoring and obeying the Son just as one would honor and obey God the Father is unbiblical. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, John says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. God has inseparably connected glorifying Him with obeying Jesus. And so Paul could say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to glorify God? Confess Jesus as Lord. Do you want to honor God? Then honor the Son. Jesus said plainly in John 15, whoever hates me hates my father also. God the Father has tied eternal consequences to how we respond to Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so this morning, if you are not yet a Christian and you are concerned about eternity, you're concerned about your soul, maybe you've now been thinking upon these things at this stage of life, and you say, well, how can I be sure about the afterlife? How can I be sure about my soul? Well, you must do something with Jesus. You must receive the Son, because He is the source of eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Back to our text in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, I started out by saying, you think about the doomsday prophets, you think about those who are talking about future apocalypse and so on. And there's always a fear, right? Even among those, especially, I could say, among those who are not Christians, You say, oh, you know, we're beyond this religious stuff, you know, this idea of a day of the Lord and judgment. And so uh, the secular world has its doomsday prophets as well. 
just watch the news. And so it's going to be climate change. It's going to be nuclear war. It's going to be something like this. But, but man naturally understands that something awaits us. Well, the Bible tells us what that, what that thing is, and that is the coming judgment at the hand of Jesus Christ. And we said that that's, that's unalterable. We cannot get off that pathway to the judgment of Christ, right? There's a summons to appear, and we're all going to be there. And so that cannot be changed. However, we can change on what side of that judgment we will be on. We, we, we can alter the outcome. That is, how we respond to Jesus now determines how we will experience that judgment then. And so in John chapter 5 and verse 24, again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This morning, will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Will you believe that he's the Son of God who has been sent by the Father with the power to give life and authority to judge Will you believe that? Will you believe what God the Father has testified about His own Son? First John chapter five verse nine it says, "If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning His Son." You've got to believe what God has revealed about His own Son, and this is it. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Then John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so this amazing situation where we all understand that we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where judgment will be made, some to life and some to judgment. But what John is telling us is that you can know for sure on what side of that judgment you will find yourself. If you have the Son, you have life. What a gift of God. So this morning, the question is simple. Would you have eternal life? Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But what you realize is that eternal life does not come to us divorced from the Son of God. Would you avoid the wrath to come? Will you escape the judgment which awaits all mankind? Will you pass from death to life? Then believe in Jesus. Jesus had an exchange in John chapter 11. Remember Lazarus, Lazarus uh, who died and then Jesus raised him from the dead? Jesus had an exchange with Martha there in John 11 verse 24. Martha said to Jesus, I know that he, Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus says, I am the life giver. Believe in me and you'll receive that life. The effect of Jesus' authority is that all must bow the knee to him. All must honor him as they honor the Father. All must obey Jesus. All must serve Jesus. All must believe his word. So it's pretty simple this morning, pretty practical. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Look in verse 21. I want to explain to you who it is that receives this eternal life. It says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And so the power and authority which Jesus has includes the prerogative 
to choose who he gives life to and who he doesn't. And you say, okay, so then our eternity is based upon the whims of Jesus. Give life to whom, who I want. This one has life, this one does not have life. But this very passage defines who the whoever are. He gives life to whom he will in verse 21, but then look in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The whom he will of verse 21 is the whoever hears in verse 24. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And so Jesus' divinely appointed authority to give life and to judge should not only convince us that all must answer him, but also can assure us that he can fulfill those promises. And the promise is, if you hear my word and believe, you have eternal life. That's a promise. And the fact that he has the power and authority affirms the fact that he can fulfill that promise. If you believe in Jesus this morning, believing all that he has claimed to be, you'll receive eternal life. You'll pass from death to life. And you say, well, this started out pretty dark. I mean, you're talking about judgment. You're talking about Jesus coming and separating goats from sheep and so on. But look at the mercy and look at the grace. It's a free offer of eternal life. Simply through what works? Self-righteousness? No, simply believe. Believe that Jesus is whom the Father has revealed him to be. You'll pass from death to life. So this has an immediate effect in that he will give what? He gives the Holy Spirit immediately upon belief, upon faith. You have your sins forgiven immediately upon faith in Christ. You are adopted into the family of God immediately for the sake of Christ. You are accepted by God the Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also has a future effect. And that when Jesus returns to execute judgment, you will be raised, not to judgment, but to eternal life. Verse 28 of our passage, we're almost done here. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And Jesus has already defined what the good is there. Those who have done good is what? Well, those who have heard and believed in him. Elsewhere, Jesus is confronted by a man who says, What must I be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus' response is, Believe in the Son. So believe in Christ. That biblical belief is always paired with, yes, an obedience to Christ, yes, an honoring of Christ, yes, following Christ, yes, worshiping Christ. Why? Well, because God has set him forth as the one to be believed and obeyed and honored, followed and worshipped. And so that belief includes a submission to him now, sure. Becoming his disciple, yes. And that's why belief in Jesus in the New Testament is always connected with baptism. Confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Take his identity upon yourself. Make it publicly known that you have uh, identified with him, and we do that through baptism. And so, submit to his authority now. Become his disciple now. You'll receive life now and have no fear at his coming. Instead, you'll be one who's resurrected to life in his presence. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will set on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
If you believe in Jesus this morning, that's the eternal destiny that awaits you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so in conclusion, all of civilization is headed in one direction. All things are moving towards an inescapable appointment with Jesus Christ. Christ will return, and Christ will seal the eternal fate of every human being. That judgment will be determined by how men and women choose to respond to him now. Although we have no ability to alter or avoid God's plan to judge the earth through his Son, we do have the ability to determine on what side of that judgment we'll find ourselves. To believe that Jesus is God's Son, sent to atone for our sins, and worthy of our honor and obedience will result in eternal life, and to do anything other than that will result in eternal judgment. And so this morning, will you believe in Him? If so, determine to live in obedience to Christ. Make that first move of obedience by publicly being baptized in His name. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, live for His glory. Seek to honor Him with your life. Not in order to be saved, but because you understand that at the exercise of your faith, you have been saved. This morning, if you are already a Christian, are you living as one who honors Christ? You've professed faith in Jesus, but does your life show it? Do you love Christ? Do you honor Christ? Do you obey Christ? Do you worship Christ? Do you follow Christ? And if you say, yes, 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 could then I ask you and say, show me. Keep these questions in mind this morning as we take a moment to reflect as we prepare for the Lord's table. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. This morning, as Christ's church, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. We confess him as the Son of God. We confess him as the Son of Man. Lord, we recognize that you have granted all power and authority to him. The eternal life that we have this morning as believers comes at the hand of Christ. He's the one who has authority to give that life. And so, Lord, help us to honor him just as we had to honor you. Help us to love Christ just as we would love you. I pray that you'd help us to give Christ the glory that's due his name. And we recognize, according to Paul in Philippians, that as we confess Christ and as we honor Christ, it is all ultimately for your glory because he's the one whom you have established over as authority over men. Help us this morning to reflect on our own lives, to see how our lives are being lived for his glory as believers. Reveal to us areas in which we are not living in a way that honors him. Help us to see areas in which we have habitual sin or a pattern of sin or we're failing to uh, rejoice in him or we're failing to be satisfied by Christ. Reveal areas in which we are married to the world in which we are finding fulfillment and satisfaction in sin or in the culture instead of Christ. Help us to love him better. And then this morning we pray for any who are not yet Christians. We pray that they would see their need for, for Jesus, that they would understand the mercy and grace that's extended to them, that Jesus is extending eternal life, the promise of eternal life. And that promise, based upon hearing and believing on faith and not works. So I pray these would come to understand Jesus as the only Savior and Lord, as the source of eternal life, and I pray that they trust him and him alone for salvation. And those who trust Jesus in that way, Lord, we recognize you'll give them the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you just give them a, uh, an assurance, an overwhelming assurance 
of the fact that their souls are secure, they're accepted by you, and they can look forward with longing and anticipation for the coming of Jesus, not fear. Lord, we thank you for this and for your Son. Help us to rejoice in him. Amen.